Sometimes life-changing moments slip by unnoticed, their significance becoming apparent only in the light of subsequent events. But Nathan Tilly was never one for the subtle approach. The summer of 1976 had been long and humid. The horseflies had been larger and more vicious than in past years, which was saying something. They had swarmed around me, taking painful chunks out of my sweet 13-year-old flesh. My legs and upper body bore the scars of months of relentless attacks. For me, the smell of summer was not the salty tang of the ocean, nor the ambrosial scent of young blueberries, but the sour chemical whiff of antiseptic cream that my mother would slather on my bumpy mosaic of bites, a constellation of unending irritation. On the first day of my eighth-grade year at Longfellow Middle School, my shoulders were still itching from the horsefly's diabolical attention. My discomfort was also, I am sure, a physical manifestation of the anxiety that I was feeling that day. I had been dreading the start of the new school year all summer. Every blissfully unscheduled day of vacation was, to me, just one step closer to seeing Hollis Calhoun again. For most of the previous year, Hollis Calhoun had bullied me without mercy. He undertook a campaign of terrors, small and large. Some of it was innocuous enough: an unanticipated cuff around the back of the head in the corridor, a sharp elbow jab to the ribs in the cafeteria line. But he also liked to corner me out of sight of others and inflict more elaborate, sustained cruelties. He crowded in on me. Heavy and huge, obliterating the world beyond his fists. His violence was claustrophobic as well as cruel. There was a warped intimacy in all those carefully administered punches and kicks. He would scrutinize my face intently as he hurt me, delighted by the fear in my eyes. For all his thuggery, Hollis possessed a nuanced understanding of the psychological mechanics of terror. He took care to ensure that his attacks were never predictable. Not knowing when they might come, I was in a constant state of high alert. Sometimes he would leave me alone for days, which had the paradoxical effect of ratcheting up my sense of impending dread. When I finally saw him lumbering toward me, I felt something oddly close to relief that the wait was over. The threat of Hollis Calhoun's fists that marauded across my fevered imagination was worse than any blow they could land in actuality. There had been nothing I could do to make Hollis stop, since he didn't appear to want anything from me. My terror seemed to be an end unto itself. He never told me what I had done to deserve his attention, and always the same unanswered question would fog my panicked brain as he approached me with that malevolent look in his eyes: "Why me?" Hollis was a year older than me, and I had consoled myself with the thought that at least he would be graduating to high school in the fall. Then, a week before the school year ended, Hollis had cornered me in the boys' locker room. He pressed one side of my face into the cold floor, his knee in the small of my back, and told me that he was being held back a grade. He would be at Longfellow again next year. He banged my head against the tiles a couple of times, as if this was somehow my fault. As I pushed open the door to my classroom, the prospect of seeing Hollis Calhoun again, combined with the ferocious itching beneath my shirt, had plunged me into my own universe of self-pity. I sat down at the nearest desk and opened my bag. 
As usual, my mother had left me a folded note. Her choice of quotation that day seemed especially apt. The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews 13.6 That was indeed the question. I had spent much of the past three months anxiously imagining what abominations Hollis had in mind for me. I looked up gloomily and noticed an unfamiliar presence in the row ahead. Most of my classmates were already slumped in bored disaffection over their desks, but a new boy I did not recognize sat bolt upright in his chair. His hair was as black as the leather on my mother's Bible. He wore a green cable-knit turtleneck sweater, which looked insufferably hot on that warm morning. While I was surreptitiously examining him, he turned and looked right at me. Our eyes met for the briefest of moments, and then I looked away. New arrivals were to be treated with extreme caution until their position in the classroom pecking order could be calibrated. I bent down and pretended to look for something in my bag. The new boy didn't turn back around, though. He kept looking at me. <laughs>